0: All right, so here's how it all went down. Let's start with Smirkanish.
1: This week, one of America's most esteemed public high schools got dragged into the swamp of our polarized national politics. New Trier in suburban Chicago is holding a day long seminar this coming Tuesday. They call it understanding today's struggle for civil rights. Now a Wall Street Journal opinion piece referred to this as racial indoctrination
0: day. So in early 2017. Less than 30 days after Donald J. Trump became our 45th president of the United States, a racially charged controversy broke out on the wealthy North Shore of Chicago.
2: You can't bring anyone else in.
3: Few can remember a school board meeting in the New Trier District where parents had to be turned away at the door.
4: So many people showing up at tonight's meeting, the board meeting there, that the fire marshal had to be called in. Some of the critics are planning to keep their kids home from school on seminar day and they say more people aren't speaking up because they're afraid to be
5: labeled a racist.
0: News coverage reported extensively on this controversy, which seemed to divide the township into camps along political lines. The parents
5: of Nutrier Group, which is several hundred parents, say there isn't enough diversity. We think that seminar day is great, but it's important to expose these kids here to a wide variety of voices. The whole seminar day just seems to be focusing on color and
0: race.
6: You can't make left or right out of it. You can't invite speakers that are telling the other
0: side of racism. The idea of shutting it down because they don't like some of the positions of some of the speakers
2: seems ridiculous to me.
0: The story gained traction first throughout Chicago, and then in national news media, largely because of Nutrier's cultural prominence. The Winnetka School has too many famous graduates to list. Nutrier Township sits in the heart of the North Shore, which stretches along Lake Michigan from Evanston to Lake Forest. For movie fans, you'd probably know it as John Hughes Country. Well, Brian, this is a very nutritious lunch. All the food groups are represented Dozens of popular movies have been set on the North Shore, and many feature locations in New Trier Township. Sixteen Candles, Ferris Bueller's Day Off,
7: Bueller, Bueller,
0: Uncle Buck, Home Alone. Ah! New has also been consistently ranked one of America's best high schools for more than 60 years. And in all of that time, it's also been known for its lack of racial diversity. So this parental conflict over student programming on Martin Luther King Day made Nutria Township the perfect place for a national controversy on racial issues to break out, especially in the early days of the Trump presidency. And that's exactly how it played out, with the exception of one notable detail, the intense disagreement allegedly raging within the halls and homes of Nutrier Township wasn't really happening. It was a long con. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Long Con, the podcast that takes a lighthearted, an informative look at the dismantling of American representative democracy and the collapse of Western civilization. My name is Paul Trainer. Glad to have you with us for this very first episode. I don't know why I chuckle when I say that because uh, it's really not funny. But at any rate, uh, that little intro gives you uh, a sense uh, of what we're talking about or where we're talking about it here. I live in Nutrier Township. I am a Nutrier parent, and I was sucked into this uh, in early 2017. Ended up making uh, a documentary called Nutrier Tip of the Spear about it, which you can actually uh, watch on YouTube if you want to uh, get up to speed. After Tip, I knew I'd only scratched the surface of the story, so we started working on another documentary. But the problem was, it was just too hard to condense everything going on into a 90-minute feature. The way I kept describing it was that we were trying to make a molehill out of a mountain. I really hope we do get to produce this documentary in the near future because we have a lot of great footage and uh, we put together a really uh, fantastic team. I was lucky to meet uh, a very talented producer and writer named Todd Chimino. Uh, T. Raphael Chimino is his uh, professional name, and Todd has uh, just been great, super smart guy. Uh, he's really opened some doors for us and uh, been invaluable. Our director of photography, Christopher Lane, uh, extremely talented uh, DP and shooter. Um, Kevin Veal, my friend and uh, great cameraman who's helped us out. Brian Prey, who's served as uh, an associate producer for us, and uh, just a bunch of other great folks who've uh, helped us out along the way. But right now, it felt very important uh, in the state of the world to just uh, put this thing out here and and start this discussion. So, what is a long con? Well, a long con is an actual thing. Sometimes it's called a big con, uh, but it uh, means an elaborate confidence game that develops in several stages over an extended period of time, wherein the con men or swindlers gain the victim's trust with the goal of reaping an enormous payout in the game's final maneuver. So that is what is happening here in America, ladies and gentlemen. We believe uh, it is a very concentrated effort by a very small group of extraordinarily wealthy Americans, uh, billionaire Americans, what we uh, believe are billionaire oligarch Americans, and the uh, apparatus that they have put in place methodically and at great expense over time. And by time, I mean our lifetimes, 70 years, uh, starting after the second world war, uh, in the Eisenhower era, and then going all the way up to the present, they have slowly built this, um, libertarian version of conservatism. They have, uh, gutted traditional conservatism. So, um, the stakes are high, and um, we have to find a way, whatever our political uh, opinions or beliefs are, to start getting along. So I would like to uh, contribute to that in our first episode uh, by pissing off uh, quite a few of my neighbors. Actually, I don't think it is. I think it's a very small group of uh, my neighbors, because this crazy thing that happened in New Trier Township uh, right after Donald Trump became... President of the United States, um, really is uh, not only illustrative of this greater long con, it was a long con uh, perpetrated over a couple of months on our community here in New Trier Township, Uh, but the players involved are actually doing the same thing on a national scale. I've never been involved in politics. Um, I'd never been, um, you know, uh, speaking out publicly or kind of, uh, you know, in, in the media world at all until this happened. And so um, it was all a little bit of a, of a surprise to me. But um, basically, in early 2017, this uh, group of parents emerged seemingly out of nowhere to take really strong issue with the plans uh, for the Civil Rights Day here at New Trier High School. So once I noticed this on Facebook, I noticed uh, a a post coming up for uh, a radio uh, discussion that had kind of kicked everything off. And so uh, we're going to kick off uh, with that um, here, too. And um, I think it's good just to kind of tell the story uh, as it unfolded. Good morning,
8: Dan and Amy. Well, we talked about this uh, a few days ago, this uh, day-long seminar taking place uh, at Trier High School. Why are we going to talk like this again? Because the queer is one of the best mountain high schools in the state. It uh, looks like it hurts. All school, do It does hurt. All school summer. I don't know how those wasps uh, on the North Shore do it. Now stop it.
0: All right, so there you go. That's Dan Proft. He and his co-host uh, Amy Jacobson have a morning drive show in Chicago uh, on conservative radio. Lots of political commentary and um, one really terrible accent he was doing there. Not exactly sure what it is, uh, but just gives you a little flavor about the kind of guy Dan is. So uh, Dan, on this particular morning, has found out about Nutrier Seminar Day uh, just through reading his morning paper, I guess. Uh, it just popped up in his newsfeed, and so uh, he's a little concerned, and he and Amy uh, then decide to find out what's going on by inviting a, uh, a member of our community uh, to uh, join him to discuss it. Uh, for more
8: on this, because there are some parents who have uh, challenged the regime at Nutrier with respect to this uh, mandatory indoctrination, and among them is a uh, Betsy Hart, who joins us now. Betsy, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it.
4: Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me.
8: All you privileged white kids apologize to us and then go around the rest of your lives apologizing for who you are. Isn't that what this is?
4: You know, I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but I'm going to say that... um, that actions do speak louder than words and that's certainly if that's not the intent, I do think that is going to be the effect. So what I'm encouraging and I'm hearing from parents, some of whom are afraid to speak out publicly, understandably, about this, but are are coming to me because I'm, you know, sort of used to voicing my opinion, I suppose. Um
0: Okay. There you go. So we've got the two main players of the con that have just uh, come out in the very first interview. We've got Dan Proft, uh, the concerned uh, outside uh, newscaster, uh, just paying attention to local issues. And then we've got this uh, mother, whose name is Betsy Hart, uh, who is now involved with this group of parents, who apparently just, you know, came up to her because she'd spoken out about things and said, hey, w- will you be our spokesperson? And so uh, they have this little organic group of parents who are, are concerned about what's happening at Nutria and just want to uh, uh, spread a little light on it see if they can get a little balance um in this uh oppressive day of discussion about racial civil rights you
8: finally have people waking up and saying wait a second what am i destroying my home value for what are what are we paying these exorbitant property taxes for exactly what's my child being taught at nutrier these uh leftist champagne socialists in nutrier this is all racial indoctrination left-wing activism advocacy of socialism that's what this race seminar day has turned into
0: i think you can see where dan's coming in on this day so uh dan and betsy the concerned mother are our two main grifters so dan is uh playing the role of what is known as the shill. Now, in a con, uh, the shill is the uh, outside person, the seemingly outside person who has no apparent connection to the uh, con, but just uh, has a strong uh, opinion or maybe can get the ball set in uh, motion. So he's playing that role here. That's the outside man or the shill. Uh, So the plant or the inside man, in this case, is a woman, uh, Betsy Hart. So she is the mom who's, you know, just, doing this because other moms asked her to. And uh, we'll talk about Betsy uh, in just a second. Uh, But first, a little bit about Dan Proft. So the first I know of Dan Proft was uh, 2008, I think. Uh, He helped the town president, Larry Dominic of Cicero, Illinois, to gain re-election. And um, as a result, he then got uh, no-bid contracts worth $578,000 a year, to serve as the mouthpiece for the town and two local school districts. So not only is Prof's firm receiving $180,000 a year to boost Cicero Town President Larry Dominic's agenda, but the town, in a highly unusual move, also agreed to pay the company another $308,000 a year to promote the new municipal complex. I don't even uh, know what that is, but uh, if you've heard of Cicero, you've probably heard of it uh, because it was known as uh, the home base and... uh, Center of operations for Alphonse Capone and the Chicago Outfit. Uh, so that's uh, where Dan started out, a grifter. Uh, seems likely, right? After that, uh, he kind of r- his star rose, uh, but he made a star-crossed bid in 2010 to be the governor of the great state of Illinois. And uh, again, the social skills you might have already sensed that Dan lacks were a bit of a problem there. So here he is from one of the debates in 2010. Mr. Proft, your response? Yeah, like
8: everybody else, I was born a poor black child too. I mean this is, uh, this is exactly what this election is not about. These politicians biographies, this naval-gazing, these navel-gazing bromides. Bromide. This is about policy choices. So let me give you one that enfranchises people here that have gotten a shaft in this state. I'm the only candidate who has proposed a statewide opportunity scholarship program for low-income families, who who are disproportionately relegated to schools that we know will fail them.
0: (laughs) Racist? Maybe. Funny? Eh. But uh, an interesting side note about him wanting uh, opportunity scholarships and making that a centerpiece of his campaign, Uh, this is definitely a more palatable way and one of the accepted ways to discuss school vouchers, school choice. Uh, So we will talk about that more as we go. But you know what? His uh, campaign hit some bumps because his background kept dogging him. You helped
7: re-elect Cicero president Larry Dominic, right. who's the poster boy for corruption in this state, who then awarded you hundreds, thousands of dollars in no-bid contracts. Uh-huh. Was that courage? Was that not wilting? Um, I mean, here,
8: so here's the thing about Cicero. Cicero was a client I was a vendor to the town of Cicero you don't like all of my clients, it's fine. I don't like all of my clients either. Um, but I provided the service. I wasn't a town president. I wasn't a village trustee. I wasn't a policymaker. I was somebody who provided production of collateral, the development of a website, a PR services. So, you know, that's what I did. And those are professional services contracts, which are typically retained, not bid out. This is really just kind of juvenile playground antics by uh, a couple of brothers who, I think, frankly, are jealous of Larry's uh, position, um, and um, so they're doing what they do. These are people that don't live in Cicero. They have no idea what's going on in Cicero.
0: There you go. All right. So Dan, you know, didn't handle it too well, and, and uh, you know, there he goes. He thinks, uh, I guess... Being paid that kind of money in no-bid contracts is okay. Uh, interesting, though, that he said people from outside of Cicero are giving him an issue about it and injecting themselves uh, out of jealousy when they had nothing to do with the town of Cicero because guess where Dan professor doesn't live? New Trier Township or work. So anyway, that was Dan. But as I said for every long con, there's got to be a person on the inside. So how did I know Betsy was the inside woman. Well, it was just a hunch at first, because uh, her face and her voice were all over the place on Facebook. She was on the news and all this sort of thing. But then there were other clues in this particular interview.
9: But aren't the students required by the Board of Education, though, to enroll and have a social and emotional learning day?
4: Well, you know, we're actually trying to get through some FOIA requests and find out exactly what is required. But if you're going to have a day that's structured like this, let's mm-hmm. start with including parents. Parents were actively hmm. excluded. When I asked um, the assistant principal responsible for helping put this program together, who did it, and he said, well, it was students and faculty. And I said, well, what about parents? Why aren't parents involved? And he said to me, because that's not how we do things.
8: Well, yeah. I mean, now, look, I mean, well, Betsy, do, do you have a Ph.D. in education? I know, it well not then, then, PhD then in education,
4: well, right? Exactly. That's what well, they then, say. Well then,
8: how, how could you possibly know what's in the interests of your children in in, uh, in terms of their education if you're not yeah, a PhD that, in education? These, these they, are, uh, Betsy, these are right. their children. This is their time with your children to instruct <laughs> them accordingly. And you know, if you want to go back to school so that you're on their intellectual level when it comes to the intellectual development of your children. Well, that's a different thing, but until then, it's up to Monica Trinidad, Black Lives Matter, uh, these uh, overeducated, overcompensated bureaucrats at New Trier (laughs) to decide uh, how your children's
0: lives will play themselves out. See, now they're starting to go off on education. It's getting more political. And you'll notice here how Dan is positioning them as uh, elites. And, and this is really important um, because that's part of their MO. They want to uh, turn the common man against those, you know, wealthy, snobby, uh, intellectual, uh, or, or rich elites. And, um, and, and they've been really successful at it. Uh, but Betsy uh, sure seems like she's prepared and comfortable for a larger political discussion, doesn't she? So I did a little bit of Googling about Miss Betsy Hart, and uh, here's what I found out.
5: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Betsy Hart, Director of Lectures and Seminars here at the Heritage Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to Heritage and to today's program on confronting plantation politics, broadening debate within the African-American community. For those of you not familiar with the Heritage Foundation, we are a nonpartisan, public policy research institute here in Washington dedicated to the principles of free, competitive enterprise, individual liberty, limited government, and a strong national defense.
0: Okay, that was from 30 years ago. And I'm guessing that most of you are familiar with the Heritage Foundation at this point. In 1990, uh, Betsy served as uh, their coordinator of public events and speakers, and she was on it a bunch. You can find her all over C SPAN. Uh, She came from the wet Reagan White House as a a young whippersnapper and was still a very uh, young political operative there at the Heritage Foundation, uh, where she remained for 30 years. I I think she's still there. I think she still does fundraising and some writing for them. But she certainly was at the time the tip of the spear was made. But she didn't happen to mention ever as a parent in any of her many appearances with Dan or on local news or at school board meetings uh, that she was, in fact, a a 30 year plus uh, conservative, uh, partisan political operative. Um, It just never came up. But, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of germane. And you might have noticed in that particular clip that she was moderating a a discussion of all black speakers, if you want to see it on C-SPAN, you can, on the role of plantation politics in the Democratic Party. So, wow, clearly, Betsy is not a stranger to discussions of civil rights.
5: Recent Supreme Court decisions on civil rights cases have sparked cries from the left that the Supreme Court is narrowing civil rights. Is the court really changing direction in such a way that will promote true civil rights and not favoritism and double standards?
0: So Betsy is the inside person. She's pretending to be just another mom at Nutrier. Uh Dan is the shill who's driving all of this. Uh, and they have a history of bashing progressives for exactly these types of issues uh, before they brought them to Nutrier. So we need to introduce one more character to the proceedings here, and that is uh, the person in the con that is known as the fixer. So the fixer often works near the inside person or the outside person, the shill, but their job is to back up and coordinate uh, resources as the con unfolds. And this was a guy from Dan's other show, not his morning show, but a podcast that he does uh, that's sponsored by a conservative think tank in Illinois called the Illinois Policy Institute. And this gentleman's name is Pat Hughes.
8: Dan Proff back with Pat Hughes, co-founder of the Illinois Opportunity Project. And, Pat, uh, talking about, uh, you know, destroying your home value for what when it comes to K-12 through education, the curious case of Neutra High School, which is becoming a, a national story.
1: This has been going on, as you know, Dan, in college campuses for a while, but that's not good enough for the left. They need to do their indoctrination of prospective voters earlier, trying to indoctrinate 16-, 17-, and 18-year-old kids who are either voters or are going to be voters, into a leftist cause, and frankly, a political party cause, a Democrat cause. If I have a 16-year-old and 14-year-old, two high school kids, I would never, never allow them to participate in this, never, because it's, it's political indoctrination.
0: All right, so that's Pat Hughes, a man of strong convictions, and that's just fine, uh, but he's the fixer in my estimation. This is my opinion only and for entertainment purposes only for all of you lawyers listening. Pat is one of them. So uh, if he's hearing this, uh, yeah, sorry, Pat, but you're the fixer.
1: I'm not even sure it's necessarily legal. I, I think there's a chance here that it's violating the rights of the parents and the kids.
0: So the fixer needs a combination of uh, skills from grifting to putting pressure on the mark. They could be a little bit of the heavy sometimes. Uh, and this person uh, frequently wears more than one alias during a con. So you, might, you notice there Dan introduced him, uh, usually as he does on this podcast, as the co-founder of the Illinois Opportunity Project. Uh, the other co-founder is Dan himself. He doesn't mention that, but that's a 501c4 political group that they run. More on that later. But in terms of having more than one alias, it turns out that Pat has another outfit that he works for, too.
1: Dan, as you know, I'm president of the Liberty Justice Center. Our goal is to um, you know, stop governments from taking away people's rights, right?
0: Right. So that's Pat Hughes' other gig. He's a lawyer for something called the Liberty Justice Center uh, that does uh, uh, legal work to protect the rights of individuals. So he's affiliated with at least two entities that we know of, Illinois Opportunity Project and Liberty Justice. uh, But he's also here now doing a segment for Upstream Ideas, which is yet another project he and Dan collaborate on uh, that is sponsored by the aforementioned Illinois Policy Institute. Keeping all of this straight? Don't worry, you don't have to yet.
1: This is Pat Hughes with this week's Upstream Ideas 2-Minute Warning. So I bet you thought, or at least hoped, that liberal indoctrination in schools was limited to crazy college professors and their snowflake co-eds, if only. At Neutra High School, the leftist bureaucrats are forcing students to attend a seminar day on race, featuring lectures on systemic racism, white privilege, and unconscious bias. A group of parents urging administrators to add competing views, or at least let kids opt out of being called racist all day, have been dismissed by Yankee and her posse of overpaid radicals.
0: Okay, did you catch that? Uh, Pat took issue with three things, systemic racism, white privilege, and unconscious bias. And then he says that they want to offer competing views to systemic racism, white privilege, and unconscious bias, because... They won't accept that those things exist. Systemic racism does not exist. And denying this is simply to deny reality. Uh, Betsy uh, took issue with this over and over throughout the course of these couple of months. Dan and Pat, of course, push back on the notion whenever it comes up, as does uh, much of their uh, libertarian section of the right. But the reality is, is not only is there systemic racism, but the North Shore of Chicago exists as it is Um, almost exclusively because of systemic racism. Now, we don't have time in this episode to go down that particular rabbit hole, but there was a certain thing called redlining, if you're not familiar with it, that kept black people from getting mortgages in this area for 50 years. And it also kept black people from getting regular FHA loans Even in poorer black areas, they got almost exclusively high-risk loans. The FHA, as a governmental organization, did not approve loans to black people in almost any circumstance, but certainly they did not let them buy up in this area. Uh, Most of these communities, Winnetka, Kenilworth, even here in Wilmette. Uh, had restrictive covenants in the deeds of these properties for many years, some as late as the 1980s. Some you can still find in the actual deeds if you look at them uh, down at City Hall, which meant that uh, it was against the law to sell to people of color. So this is systemic racism. You can say it's maybe better than it was or that you know it's not as much of an issue as people say, but to reject the idea that there is systemic racism is to just reject American history. So this is one of those things I think we really need to learn to talk about in ways that aren't accusatory, um, but that are honest and based on reality. So anyway, this was certainly my perspective, and it was at this point that I really uh, became an active part of this story. Because I'd been so vocal about this on Facebook and the Trib had gotten a quote from me, a lot a lot, I was actually asked to go on a local PBS news show called Chicago Tonight to speak as a proponent of Seminar Day. Uh, This is my first time ever to be on television in this way, and um, I was the pro side of the discussion, and they got another parent to uh, speak against Seminar Day. Guess who that was? Joining us tonight with their thoughts on this upcoming controversial seminar are two
3: Nutrier parents. They are Betsy Hart. She is one of the organizers of a group called Parents of Nutrier, and Paul Trainer, an actor and a filmmaker, and we thank you both for being here tonight.
5: I'm now hearing parents in, in the North Shore demonstrate racism in a way I hadn't seen before. I'm seeing them say, blacks should o- always think a certain way. Blacks all hate police. Blacks are all angry. And these are the blacks represented
0: in seminar day. Okay, so that was me and Betsy, and uh, I wanted to talk about systemic racism, so I pushed the issue do you agree there's systemic racism I think that's the clarification you say there's racism but do you think there's systemic racism well because they've they've painted that as if that's a political issue that systemic racism exists in terms of like you know the prison system or the educational system or economics or any of these things and they have very very kind of extremist conservative speakers they'd like to inject who just happen to have black
5: skin you are misrepresenting us entirely we absolutely accept that there is racism we want to look at it if you're saying that all the disparities between the races are caused by racism? No, in fact, what we argue is that when you get into that circle where you cannot look outside of it, you don't get to look at other solutions like a bigger, like about? the circle that says if there's a difference yeah. between races, it is by definition racism. Instead yeah. of looking at things like bigger predictors of lifetime success, I think which are made edu- up that circle. That's Excuse not me, a real Paul. Circle that, Excuse uh, me. I've heard Excuse me. About let me ask you. Excuse me. No, I want to no, no, break no, out no, of no, the. No, please, I want to no, talk no, no, about please. education. Talk <laughs> about
7: violence. And helping. Betsy,
0: please. So clearly, Betsy had a canned answer on systemic racism that I was able to derail a little bit. And yes, I was a bit pushy, I admit it, but um, it was clear from the beginning that Betsy just wanted to steamroll me and the host and just hit her talking points. And she was a pro. She's done this for years and years. You can see the whole clip of this on the Chicago Tonight website website. Um, the interview got uh, pretty tense, I have to admit, but I did get to share my belief in what was really happening. I believe that this is part of a large-scale assault by Betsy and uh, people from outside of our district to attack public education. There's one percent, one percent, uh, one percent opposition. Betsy, Betsy, very this quickly, is this point. is, is non-political. This is an
5: offensive quickly. ad hominem attack, which suggests the fact that people, hmm. instead of engaging in debates on the merits, are attacking us and this is what we have seen all along to keep our voices out and this is from the people who actually claim to be open minded. It's Herding really a trainer. This
3: is the most liveliest uh, debate we've had on here <laughs> and hopefully no we messing. made some sense along <laughs> the way.
0: <laughs> spirited is right. So this was a very spirited discussion uh, right after uh, they called cut Betsy threw down her mic and stormed off set and called me a bully. Uh, she may be right, but you know, takes one to know one, Bets. Uh, and apparently me saying that she was attacking public ed and the kids' teacher was uh, offensive to her, extremely offensive, but all of the language that she and Dan and Pat were spewing about liberal indoctrination and radical leftists and champagne socialists and greedy school teachers, you know, all that's just fine. You know, nothing offensive in that, you know, these are the kids, the people that teach our kids to... I was kind of offended on their behalf, but, you know, to each his own. So after this appearance, uh, I'd started to make a video basically for my neighbors and other parents in New Township because I wanted to show them this, you know, um, (laughs) hurricane of uh, fucking lies, to quote uh, Green Day, that was going on here. Uh, But as I went, it morphed into a much bigger uh, project. And uh, as that happened, I started a Kickstarter to make a a documentary. And the day before Seminar Day happened, I was asked to go on uh, uh, Steve Cochran's show, Uh, It's my first radio interview. Uh, It was recorded at the WGN building on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. If you've uh, ever been down there, it's the one that's right on the river, right across from the Tribune building. And there's actually a window of the studio that looks out onto the uh, Mag Mile. And if you're uh, as a tourist on Michigan Avenue, you can look in and see what they're talking about. And I've done that. But uh, that day I was that person and I was able to uh, share what I thought was going on
10: without Betsy, the uh, angel of doom uh, sitting over my right shoulder um we have not seen any numbers that refute the numbers you've brought us and that being that the kids uh the faculty the school itself and the community itself i should say are vastly in favor of going ahead with seminar day it's going to happen obviously but i mean going Mm -hmm. in favor with seminar day and people generally are in the confused state that i come into this with which where's the problem
0: yeah, it's very confusing. There's a hundred to one support if you look at the gr- the small group that's against this uh, filed federal, uh, you know, uh, Information Act request with New Trier Township. And all of the data showed, the emails, the phone calls, hundred to one support. My theory is that this is kind of a concentrated and orchestrated effort and that they're not even really trying to make anything happen in New Trier Township. They're playing to a statewide and a, a, na- a nationwide audience. And, and I honestly, um, you know, if you only hear a soundbite and you only hear a little bit about this here and there you would think oh there's this raging controversy and boy yes both sides should be you know represented but you know to me this is the narrative of the false equivalency you know there's a hundred to one support for it so that means anyone who's progressive and anyone who's conservative and anyone who's moderate in the main supports this and this tiny tiny group that doesn't support this that is filled with professional conservative media personalities pundits and like you said uh, big pack money i mean you know dan proft came and was live tweeting from our event he's had it on his radio show multiple times it's been in a sure. little north cook news pamphlet which looks like news to me but i'm not sure it is
10: where will you be tomorrow
0: uh hiding under my bed uh, with the lights <laughs> off
10: <laughs> back with the big story next mayor rob Emanuel in 10 minutes on 720 WGN. all
0: right so i was kidding about hiding under the bed kind of but uh i was definitely on their radar now because within an hour or so of, of me appearing on Steve Cochran's show, um, suddenly, guess who was talking about me? Dan Proft. So, again, just so you understand this
8: story as it continues to receive a lot of press, and I know there's this uh, guy named Paul Trainers, a nutrier leftist who's running around to the other stations uh, you know, blasting me and you know, th- being the typical left-wing bedwetter, trying to mischaracterize the issue. The issue is this. Go have your seminar day. No problem we want more speech, not less speech.
0: All right. So a lot of the ins and outs of all this are in the uh, new Trier doc, Tip of the Spear. won't go into detail, but I would just like to uh, put it together that in addition to Dan's radio show and Pat Hughes' various organizations, uh, that Dan and Pat both worked for a think tank I'd mentioned called the Illinois Policy Institute. Now, this is the biggest conservative think tank in the state of Illinois. And, It's part of something larger on a national level called the State Policy Network, which is a group of uh, similar uh, libertarian, conservative think tanks, uh, and they're in every single state in America, uh, except for, I think, North Dakota, and they are extremely tightly interwoven. Uh, The State Policy Network, I'd never heard of it, but they are huge. They are uh, interconnected. They share resources, staff, and most importantly, they share donors. So this was the point really when I first realized the actual scale of this, this vast network and the uh, insane amount of money that they um, had to spend. So Dan Proft uh, was a senior fellow at the uh, Illinois Policy Institute, which means that he's one of the guys not only jabbering on the radio, but who's setting and disseminating conservative policy and uh, his aggressive and combative form of libertarianism, you know, had really uh, risen to the foreground of the party in the age of Trump, to be sure. Um, You know, there's a lot of guys like Dan out there, Um, but you're one in a million, Dan. No one's quite like you, buddy. So, Dan got money for being a fellow, I'm sure. Uh, He also had a couple of other media companies that received consulting and media production fees uh, from Illinois Policy and their various entities. Again, probably no bid contracts from nonprofit organizations, which the Illinois Policy Institute is. But hey, I'm not here to call anyone a criminal, uh, just a shill and a grifter. (laughs) So, anyway, um, Illinois Policy underwrote Dan and Pat's uh, Upstream Ideas show and also at the Illinois Opportunity Project. But even crazier than all of this is that Dan is the president and treasurer of the Liberty Principles PAC here in uh, the great state of Illinois. So Liberty Principles is a super PAC, a political super PAC, and it is really... Ri- they've received more than 10 million bucks. And by they, I mean, Dan, you can, you can look at this on, uh, you know, uh, the, the conserv- the Illinois sunshine or whatever the website is to see this. Dan had received like within that year that we, I was talking to him, 10 million bucks. He is the treasurer and president of this super PAC. And as far as I know, it's just wired into his account and then he spends it as he wants to. Maybe that's not how it goes, but you know what? Super PACs don't have to tell you that. So, uh, if you can get Dan to tell you that's more than I was able to do. But as I mentioned on Steve Cochran, it is this PAC, uh, I think, that funded yet another project of Dan's, completely different, uh, independent government uh, news services. So this is actually a string of 20 local quote unquote newspapers that are all over Illinois. Uh, They're in all kinds of different towns throughout the state. They spread disinformation and they have very aggressive political content. Uh, Much of it is the same in each of these papers. Uh, They aggregate it. They have it written by ghostwriters in the Philippines. It's all very anti-tax, you know, uh, anti-government. And um, it's presented as if it's local news from a local uh, paper, you know, um, like a Pioneer Press or whatever. So the one in New Trier Township, Uh, Is called North Cook News, and it ran actually more than a dozen stories on Seminar Day in January and February uh, leading up to uh, the Seminar Day program. You know, this was part of the long con. So, North Cook News.
8: Again, a paper that I co-founded NorthCookNews.com.
0: More on this, North Cook News.
8: And in NorthCookNews.com, one of uh, my papers. Check out our product, NorthCookNews.com, my product. I'll take ownership of it. I've been covering it in my paper, northcooknews.com. The story of the Nutrier, uh racist Seminar. Uh, it's my uh, description of it. Because, What's it really called? Because it's accurate.
0: It's the... A... I don't know. My outlet, northcooknews.com. Side hustle. <laughs> Side hustle is right, Amy. So Dan has spent some of his uh, ten million in cash on North Cook News. I guess uh, he was even venturing into a local Facebook group that was like a parents group designed for new cheer parents uh, for us to discuss our day. And he and I got into it there a little bit. And then he messaged me actually. He uh, invited me uh, to call into his uh, show uh, with he and Amy to talk about things uh, after our day. Um, and I was already making a video, working on it. So I think he was a little surprised when I messaged right back saying I'd love to, but can I come in in person? Um, so anyway, I think Dan was surprise but he was gracious and I think he's nothing if not uh, confident in his own abilities so he invited me in um, perhaps not knowing the full extent of uh, my agenda which I'm ready to admit to now for
8: uh, an opposing viewpoint on the topic we're pleased to be joined by Paul trainer who is also a new Trier parent the father of a sophomore at uh, new Trier High school as well as uh, an incoming freshman at new Trier. Paul thanks for joining us
0: thanks Dan nice to be here you know, it feels like this is a controversy that is being ginned up by outside influences. And, and particularly, you know, with all due respect, yourself, mm-hmm. you've injected yourself into this local issue.
8: The Parents of Nuture group, that is a local group, that's Nutrier parents, that you've denigrated and suggest that they are 1% of the opinion on this issue. And I'm not sure that uh, the percentage they represent matters. We're talking about something based on the substantive fairness or lack of fairness of it. I, I go back again. uh to to ask why not more speech as opposed to constricting speech why not more participants why not extend the parameters of discussion and the seminar
0: day. I would say that I think that's a fair point, quite honestly, I do, and I think that that's a discussion that people of good faith can have, but I would also submit with, you know, all due respect that if there's, you know, any person in the state of Illinois that we don't need more speech from on this issue, it would probably be you, Dan.
8: Well, I know, because you don't like my speech, and that's fine.
0: You have a $10 million war chest that you got in the last year from Governor Rauner and from, you know, Richard Uline and Todd Ricketts, so like to say that there's this big scale indoctrination, I mean, you're getting paid from very wealthy, deep-pocketed, outside very very conservative voices yeah. to make this a national issue. And I would, I would suggest the only reason it's been on TV is because, you know, you keep talking about it.
8: Well, I appreciate uh, the power you think I have. Uh, humor, I, uh, thank I got you for it. The That's credit. a lot
0: of money. How many hours have you spent talking about this? You think there's so much risk in this one day and it's, this it's, few handful of seminars these kids will the, do that you need to like democracy is under attack well, and you have to be the the, Paul, Paul, the, the champion of you know uh, well, conservative principles? Well,
8: well, Paul, since since you're so good at connecting dots that don't exist, <laughs> yeah. why try try to connect some that do? This is a microcosm of a larger issue. And a larger discussion about K-12 education and what's going on in schools. It just happens because of New Trier's national standing mm-hmm. and because of its state standing. This is um, a good opportunity to talk about all of these issues that extend well beyond the corporate boundaries of New Trier Township High School.
0: All right. So there it was right there. You heard it. Dan says explicitly and completely unprompted that Nutrier is a high-profile target for a larger national discussion on public education. This is after they'd called me a conspiracy theorist for a month for suggesting that uh, exact thing, but I still, I couldn't figure out why they wanted to bash Seminar Day. Like, why would they devote so many resources toward attacking a single day of civil rights programming at a school? Why would they take the heat for appearing racist? Why would they go into all of this? Um, It still didn't add up, but that's when I realized the common thread that ran through all of their efforts.
4: Talking about things like choice in education, changing the terrible schools in the inner city. You know, the teachers' unions, of which the teachers up here, uh, here in uh, the North Shore members, they oppose choice in education.
8: Much attention is focused on the totalitarian re-education camps that college campuses have become, but it's in K-12 where the indoctrination has generally begun. A case study is New High School.
1: Rather than race bait in their cozy enclave, they should have hard conversations with the union bosses who represent them and the Democrat politicians they support who have caused the very problems they claim to care about.
0: So basically now we've got the agenda of this push against Seminar Day laid bare. It is uh, an attack on the teachers unions, uh, uh, which are a very powerful block with money and clout and are really the only entity that has enough money and power to uh, kind of counteract the billionaire funding that uh, pours through groups like Dan and Pat's and Betsy's, but also an attack on public education itself, which is one of the main goals of this policy combine. So policy combine is a term that I think I've coined uh, basically to describe something I think we all know exists, but I don't believe it's had a name put to it up until now, at least not one that I've seen, which is this vast interconnected web of conservative libertarian groups That all exist primarily and exclusively, really, to carry the water for uh, very small billionaire interests and to keep them from being taxed, to keep them from being regulated, and to roll back uh, any laws or um, regulations that uh, would cost them money or inhibit their power or freedom to do what they want. Um, In Illinois, those are run by a guy named John Tillman. So here's one more name to remember, Um, and John is the grifter of the grifters. He is the boss to Dan and Pat in all of these organizations. He runs Liberty Justice, he runs Illinois uh, Policy Institute, and he works on a national level to generate millions and millions of dollars from these billionaire oligarchs uh, to go out and uh, do their bidding under the guise of charity because these are all charity organizations, and if you don't know this, you should, that the Heritage Foundation, Americans for Prosperity, Illinois Policy Institute, the Federalist Society, uh, which is where all of these uh, judges in the new Trump District Court, Judge Mill and, and Brett Kavanaugh, of course, have come from, they are all 501c3 charities that are prohibited by law from engaging in political activity. But They can talk about policy, and that's what they do. So this is an event that they held in Milwaukee during the Trump election in 2016 called Blue States, I'm sorry, called Blue Lakes, Red States. And it was uh, a little group of uh, state policy network executives that got together with uh, a couple of billionaire funders, and they had this little conference in terms of how to plan how to turn the Great Lakes uh, red for Trump, which they ended up actually doing and this has not been remarked on or talked about in the press very much. But if you've ever been to like a uh, conference for work, an annual meeting or a sales kickoff or or any kind of rah-rah big corporate event where they spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to bring everybody to Vegas or, or Phoenix or Orlando and they put you in a ballroom and they play this big um, dramatic and moving video to kick everything off and then you hear about all their big plans. Uh, this is what they do at these conferences and there are dozens of them every year sponsored by all the different entities here at State Policy Network uh, being hosted by the Bradley Impact Fund. So the Bradley Family Foundation in Milwaukee is another one of these things you've never heard of. You don't have to remember it right now, but they have an almost billion dollar endowment and they spend it to support very anti-tax, very conservative causes. So here's how they kick off this event.
10: In an age where direction is sought from Washington too often by too many, we must remind ourselves of the intent of our founding principles. The Constitution's framers were not fans of powerful, centralized government. They believed in federalism, which maintains the majority of power in the hands of states and individuals. Conservative citizens recognize and respect this principle. They have masterfully applied it in advancing conservative policy, even as liberals push Washington's overreach into our lives. With the help of the Bradley Foundation and the Bradley Impact Fund, conservative state policy organizations have had many wins in recent years, especially in the Midwest. We've realized wins in education choice and battles against big labor. In the battle against Obamacare and other federal intrusions, state think tanks have done much of the heavy lifting. Politics matter. Policy matters more. No matter the outcomes of November 8th, state think tanks will continue to research and implement conservative ideals in exactly the way our founders had intended. Not from Washington, but from individual states. We at Bradley and the Bradley Impact Fund hope you will join us in recognizing and supporting these outstanding resources. Together, we can help keep our Great Lakes blue and our states red.
0: So the amazing thing about this is clearly they're spending a lot of money on production values. Clearly they're wanting to blow a lot of smoke up the uh, asses of the people that are going to be there to write them checks. But it's a small group of people. They spend huge amounts of money really just to curry favor and um, you know try to get the attention of and stroke the egos of the ultra-rich. And they do it in a lot of different instances. So this was one. And the interesting thing about it is if you see this Vimeo link, it's actually on the um, page of the Bradley Impact Fund. And then there's a a link you can click on the Vimeo page to the audio of the event. But if you click it, it says, sorry, this link does not exist. And there's a good reason for that, which we discovered when the folks at Center for Media and Democracy, a watchdog in Madison, uh, gave me a link to the actual discussion. And I'm going to play a little bit for you here. Remember, these are all 501c3 charities that are prohibited by law from engaging in politics.
8: We have four outstanding individuals here who head up state-based think tanks in the Midwest. John Tillman, the CEO of the Illinois Policy Institute. Mike Nichols, president of the Wisconsin Policy Research Institute. Joe Lehman, who's the president of the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. And Robert Alt was the president of the Buckeye Institute? Mr. Petty, Senor Petty, Regional Vice President of the Pan American, Mining Corporation. De de Pan American Mining Corporation. Mr. Robert Allen of South American Sugar. Robert Allen de la South American Sugar. And Mr. Michael Corleone of Nevada y Michael Corleone de Nevada, representing our associates in tourism and leisure activities.
0: Yeah. Mr Petty. Senor Petty. <laughs> Alright, I'm just kidding about those last three. Uh but it kinda has that vibe, doesn't it? Sorry, anyway, back to the proceedings.
8: So we have state-based think tanks represented here from Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Ohio. I'm gonna kick this off by calling on John Tillman.
3: Thank you, Mike, and thank you to the Bradley Foundation, Bradley Impact Fund, for all the support they've given to all four of us. It's been instrumental in our development. But as we heard this morning, the very sobering uh, panel and discussion this morning, uh, we have to win presidential elections, uh, speaking abstractly, of course, in a C3 environment. And so uh, the key to all of this, to improving uh, how fertile the ground is for a pro-freedom, pro-liberty agenda and political actors to advance it, is on uh, strategic philanthropy. And in each of our states, strategic philanthropy was critically important to the development of the think tank community. And it is the think tank community that begins the permanent infrastructure of making that ground fertile.
0: All right, so here John Tillman is thanking the donors for philanthropy, right? So that means their political spending. So John is promising a return on investment (laughs) for their philanthropy, their, uh, their charitable, quote unquote, uh, political spending. And you see that basically, you know, he makes that little crack about, you know, uh, speaking of uh, the politics in the abstract, there's a 501c3 and there's a little chuckle, ha 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 ha. Um, and that's funny because he's breaking the law right there. That is illegal. What John Tillman is doing there is uh, is basically uh, making a joke out of the fact that uh, what is supposed to be a nonpartisan, partisan uh, non-political policy organization is really uh, just a, a fixture and a mouthpiece to advance the agenda of this tiny billionaire class. Unless you have any doubts that this was somehow a slip of the tongue or whatever, here's another fundraising video that's actually from the State Policy Network website, spn.org.
1: America is the most charitable country in the world. No country comes close. Our spirit of generosity has always been connected to our freedom. Passionate
9: leaders and passionate supporters who had the same goal in mind, to make America more free, who started this with a dream, just like the
10: leaders in the movement.
0: Okay, one more quick timeout. Uh, That is Tracy Sharp. She is the woman who is the president of the uh, State Policy Network, the, the umbrella organization for all of these think tanks. And I just have to say, like, how kind of that fawning, creepy tone when she says, just like the leaders of the movement. I don't know. Is that just me? Or was that, like, creepy as fuck? I don't know. Anyway... Here is John making the salient point in this video.
3: We're going to a donor who cares about the ideas we care about. They happen to have money. We have expertise and capacity. We are making a deal together and we
0: are partners. They have money, we have capacity and expertise. It is a partnership and we are making a deal. Hmm, you don't really hear people talk about deal making in most charity videos, do you? It's a business deal. It's not really a charity. It's not really philanthropy; it's a business deal, and it exists only to serve the interests of these very uh, rich billionaire Republicans, and not the rank and file conservatives, not your your, your uh, friendly you know neighbors who are in the Republican Party, not those of you listening who are in the Republican Party, unless some of you billionaires are out there. Uh, no, these are uh, very uh, particular guys who have weaponized philanthropy and are using it to enrich themselves. With
3: and Johnson. Uh, I'll conclude by saying that, uh, and I did this with his permission of course, that Dick Uline, his wife Liz is here today, uh, has been our strategic, uh, strategic philanthropist for us. He wrote the very first check to us for $50,000 in the summer of 2007 as is our anchor donor and a visionary philanthropist. Illinois would not be making the progress it is, and you'll be hearing more about our progress in the coming years without a strategic uh, thinker like Dick and the big investments he's made in our work that allowed us to prime the pump and have the working capital necessary. But I think it's all true for all of us, and political acts will not happen without this kind of investment
0: at the end there you hear that john gives a special shout out to dick uline so dick uh richard dick uline is uh, one of the most influential billionaires that you'd never heard of and he's a local guy so he tied into our story uh he's from uh, lake forest illinois which is actually not in neutral township it's a little further up the north shore Uh, if you think of us as john hughes area you know lake forest is uh is is ordinary people and, and risky business area that's that's the old money so um so Uline is the one who gave 10 million bucks to Dan's uh, personal war chest, the Illinois Liberty Principles PAC. And uh, Dick Uline was also the single biggest donor to Judge Roy Moore's election campaign, if you'll remember that, uh, from uh, 2018, um, when that like charming pedophile judge uh, shit show, <laughs> who was uh, running for office and uh, everyone but uh, Trump and uh, the most diehard Republicans ran away from him. So anyway, uh, I'm going to do a video on Dick Uline uh, shortly. His company is Uline, the office supplies company. But the focus here is the SPN or the state policy network. So this is the spine, the very spine of what I call the policy combine. And this is how blatant they are in their big donor funding appeals. So here's another super slick, highly produced donor vid they made. And it has, I mean, a who's who of conservative politics. And again, this is all allegedly nonpartisan, a charity. And they're asking billionaires to support their charity. The people that work in the State Policy Network organizations
3: have one agenda, and that's to put freedom at the front of the line.
7: And so when you lead with stories, you lead with that emotional appeal, knowing that you've got the reason and the logic to back it up, you can really change lives for the better.
8: What's so different about the, uh, the state policy groups is they're, they're saying, you know, spend less. They're, they're really representing the taxpayers of the state that are, quite frankly, not normally represented. Uh, in the state capital, And I think having a network of people who are committed to that and then
3: who talk to others about saying how did you find success in your state or region versus elsewhere is incredibly valuable in pursuing that. It helps make democracy work and, and helps restore good government. So I'm a big advocate, big ally for the network of think tanks and their communication with each other.
0: All right, there you go. You got John Tillman kicking it off. Uh, you got Stephen Moore, that wacky uh, Heritage Foundation economist who has laughed out of uh, his, uh, his uh, being floated as a potential um, uh, czar for Trump. You've got uh, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. Uh, you've got Bruce Rauner, who is, uh, I don't think he's a billionaire, poor Bruce. I think he's a, a, multi, a multi-millionaire. Uh, but he was still uh, able to buy the uh, governorship of Illinois um, a few years back. Uh, it may not surprise you to hear that Rauner is from Nutrier. He is a new Trier Republican. But at any rate, uh, one of the very first things that Bruce Rauner did when he became governor of Illinois was file a lawsuit against the public unions. Surprise, surprise. And this is uh, an interview that he gave to Fox News on this subject.
10: Well, governor, um, it, it, I hear from a lot of these public union workers who are saying, well, wait a minute, uh, this is really a not so veiled attempt just to crush unions. You say what?
3: I say absolutely not. I filed this original lawsuit when I first became governor of Illinois three years ago because I believe it's about freedom of speech and freedom of political association. It is unfair for a government union to um, force uh, government employees to pay dues when many of them do not agree with the political positions of that union. And in fact, all government unions, by the nature of their work, are political 100% in everything they do.
0: What he's talking about, this uh, you know manipulation of the average working man. Uh, let's be clear: this was a well-established labor law that had been upheld by the Supreme Court for decades. And it it wasn't uh, making people join the unions, it was saying that the unions could actually, um, you know, take contributions when they were collective bargaining uh, out of the paychecks of people who were benefiting from them. And uh, so that was the First Amendment rights, that these people who were uh, having the unions advocate for them to get them better working conditions or make more money uh, were, were, um, you know, being uh, mistreated and and, and abused uh, by that. So whether you intellectually think that the union should have that ability to take the money is one thing, but but let's be clear about what it really was. Now it was time to roll the dice on this case, and that's how John Tillman became involved because Bruce Rauner filed this case, but he didn't have standing. He wasn't involved, so they needed to find someone to hang this case on so that they could actually spend all this money to try to get it to SCOTUS and ram through this uh, change. And that's just what they did thanks to John Tillman.
3: And in our conversations with the governor and others, we realized and the governor realized that he was gonna get bounced from the case because he had no standing because he didn't actually pay union dues. So we worked with the governor's team and some others and then we eventually all decided to intervene in that case. So the Liberty Justice Center where I'm chairman uh, and the Illinois Policy Institute where I'm the CEO, we worked together to eventually find Mark
0: Janice. So, this was a real jaw dropper to me as uh, I completed Tip of the Spear to discover that um, John Tillman had found Mark Janice, a public uh, union employee in Illinois, to become the plaintiff for what became the Supreme Court case known as Janice versus AFSCME. This uh, is a landmark case that ultimately um, came up to the Supreme Court in 2018 once Neil Gorsuch had uh, become the swing vote on uh, Trump's Supreme Court, and it was uh, passed on uh, a 5-4 ruling that, uh, in fact, made it um, no longer legal for unions to um, take funds to collectively bargain from uh, people who didn't want to join the unions. Whatever opinion you have on unions is valid, but the key thing to know here is that this decision reversed over 20 uh, solid years of Supreme Court precedent on labor law. So what was the political effect? Well, Judge Andrew Napolitano weighed in on Fox News.
3: Judge, have you considered the financial impact of a ruling like this on unions in America?
0: I be-
1: the court has not considered it. But for us to consider it, and the, and the unions know this, the word is catastrophic. If you look at it from Republican versus Democrat, as you were just discussing with uh, Andy McCarthy, because of some crazy phenomenon where blue-collar union members tend to be more Republican, but their labor union leaders tend to be more Democratic, this is catastrophic for the Democrats.
3: Thank you, sir. Instant analysis, as we say. Thank you, Judge. Judge, thank you.
0: Okay, and it seems like I'm going off the rails here, but I promise I'm not, because guess who represented Mark Janis in his landmark case? Patrick Hughes' Liberty Justice Center represents the Illinois state worker.
1: Our client, Mark Janice, just wants to be able to make a choice about whether he supports the union. Currently, he's being forced to support the union, and nobody in our country, no matter what walk of life, life they're from, what they do for work, should be forced to associate with a group that they don't want to associate with. It's un-American.
0: It's our buddy, the fixer, Pat Hughes. So, ladies and gentlemen, these folks are manipulating our entire Country and, and they get very, very rich by doing this. You know, the John Tillmans, the Dan Profs, the Pat Hughes. And the funding that they get comes from this tiny group of billionaires and extremely high worth donors that are giving them literally billions of dollars, billions. It sounds crazy to say that, but you know what? They're receiving trillions of dollars in return. And if you remember, we were actually warned about these guys because they were doing this 25 years ago and Hillary Clinton mentioned it.
9: The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right wing conspiracy.
0: That's right. We all remember the vast right wing conspiracy, which was met uh, roundly with scorn and derision. Uh, I think I thought it was silly at the time, too, but uh, doesn't seem so crazy now, does it? I mean, look what happened to Hillary. So Hillary loses. Trump gets in. Trump's tax cut alone was a 1.7, 1.4, something one point something trillion dollar windfall for the point oh one percent to these billionaire oligarchs. So they're not the 0.01% are the billionaire oligarchs. So there are just over 600 billionaires in the United States right now. Maybe it's 650, but they represent, I did the math on this, the 0.00001%. So that is one millionth of 1%. That's who this uh, large cross-section of the real workers of America whose voices can't be heard um, and uh, they uh, got over a trillion dollars back. In fact, um, according to an analysis in Forbes uh, from last fall in 2018, for the first time ever in U.S. history, the top 400 wealthiest Americans, so that's, you know, not even all these billionaires, but the top 400 of them paid a lower income tax rate than any other group. That's right any other group. They paid less as a tax rate than the working poor, any other group. And I'll link to the Forbes article so you can read that for yourself. And the just released uh, Trump budget just came out for 2020. You might've seen that last week. It shows that Trump wants to make his tax cuts for, for this group permanent. And this will be a cost of $1.4 trillion to us taxpayers, trillion it's hard to wrap your head around this but but you know they can spend billions tens of billions hundreds of billions on all of this policy combine right they can spend you know money till the doors come off and the cows come home produce these videos have these events hold these conferences you know hire John Tillman and and, and, and you know uh, uh, phalanxes of dancing girls whatever they want to do and they will still make huge money they'll generate windfalls over themselves for themselves that make it look like peanuts they work in secret They cater all their efforts to this tiny group. Their media comes into trier and places like that to try to turn average people against each other and create fake controversies. This is the long con. The policy combine is doing the work and they are making tons of money off it. Because where is is Trump cutting taxes, right? If you see this, you know, he's cutting taxes for the wealthy and ever, but where is he cutting uh, tax benefits? I should say on the poor, on the sick, on the hungry. We've demonized Obamacare. They are demonizing SNAP. They've demonized, you know, uh, TANF and welfare. Um, The working folks who actually pay their taxes, (laughs) who pay more in taxes comparatively than the billionaires pay. So this brings us to the uh, final topic for our inaugural episode. And I'm sure you're thinking, whew, that can't get here fast enough. But I hope you're having fun. Don't worry. There is sunshine here too. There is good news. The first step is we have to diagnose the problem. So it's really important that we do that. And that's what we're doing here in our first episode. So the last uh, topic we want to talk about is the education industrial complex. Now, you've all heard of the military industrial complex, right? Uh, That's the one that uh, Ike warned us about back in uh, the 1950s in his farewell address, uh, which actually was the beginning of this long con that made the uh, wealthiest Americans, uh, the billionaires and their parents, uh, turn against uh, Eisenhower and call him a communist communist. (laughs) <laughs> that is true. Uh, the John Birch Society started uh, out by calling Eisenhower a communist. And uh, one of the founding, funding members of that was Fred Koch, um, whose sons uh, Charles and David uh, stuck around and became uh, pretty influential in their own right. So more on that later. but. You remember the military industrial complex means socialized expense, taxpayer dollars uh, for privatized gain and profits. So this is the real socialism in America, right? If there is socialism in America, this is it. We all foot the bill through taxes and then the billionaires take the profits. I mean, again, if you look at Trump's new budget, the 2020 budget. They're saving billions on military spending to fund this tax cut by by with removing troops from conflict areas all over the globe, particularly in the Middle East. But at the same time, they're increasing military spending on missile defense systems and also the Space Force, the new Space Force. So where will those billions of dollars go? Well, I think we all know that. They're going to go into the pockets of private defense contractors. This is corporate socialism. So that's the military-industrial complex. We've also learned in recent years, of course, about the prison-industrial complex uh, from uh, journalists and amazing filmmakers like uh, Ava DuVernay. Uh, If you have not seen the film 13th, you should stop listening to this and go watch it immediately. Um, It's basically about how uh, black men are used as commodities to feed a prison system that, once again, these billionaires and policy combine hacks are trying to privatize taxpayer funding and private profit. Another sterling example of corporate socialism. But there's a third uh, big industrial complex that uh, is happening now. It's been happening for 50 years, but it's really kicking in high gear now. And that is the educational industrial complex, public education. So much bigger profits than prison. A lot more kids in uh, in schools than prisons uh, still at this point anyway. And it might even be bigger than defense contracts. I know it's a a several billion dollar um, industry. And they look at it as that, as an untapped market worth billions. So um, public education... Uh, And and specifically privatizing the public education system uh, is something that the policy combine uh, promotes to advance billionaire objectives in lots of ways. So uh, cultural agendas, uh, social agendas, many of them, like the DeVos's, are Christian evangelicals. Dick Uline is as well. And at least in its early phases... It fits the same uh, familiar profile because what they're doing is they're uh, taking uh, poor children, particularly uh, children of color, brown and black children, and they're making them the grist for this school choice mill. Now, they will say that the uh, children and parents in these groups are the consumers. They're not, they're not the customers, they are the product. The customers are all of the uh, different uh, private organizations, um, nonprofit and profit alike, that are uh, uh, creating um, uh, unregulated uh, educational outfits to, um, you know, bleed all these tax dollars. And, And some of them have good intentions and many of them don't. Uh, but they've been working against public ed and, and unions for years and years. Uh, again, not just to kneecap the teachers' unions so they don't have any political opposition, but also because the fight against public education um, is kind of perfect for them because it really is like their their holy grail because it fits all of their desires. It ticks all the boxes um, for greed, for control, for dismantling of government and elimination of, of property taxes, uh, to fund schools. So this all comes together in this one issue. All right, so here's old Betts at the Heritage Foundation uh, from nearly 30 years ago in 1992.
5: A new civil rights movement is taking place out in real America that focuses on economic empowerment and argues for providing choices and deregulation in such areas as housing, education, and small business, where government has often exercised excessive control. A perfect example of this was seen last week in Milwaukee, where inner city parents and children fought and won in court to allow an educational choice and voucher program, which had been approved by the legislature, to go into effect. Interestingly, those African-American parents fought in conjunction with such conservative legal groups as the Landmark Legal Foundation for Civil Rights, and against such groups as the NAACP and the National Education Association, the liberal establishment, which did not want these inner-city youth to
0: have choices and to be empowered. So they started to push legislation for school vouchers in Milwaukee. Uh, they actually started 10 years earlier, but their first success was in Milwaukee in 1991. Um, but like I said, that was 10 years in the making. So, so the very first stop that I made myself after TIP was I, I went up to Madison to find out more about this. And I actually sat down with Mary Batari. Uh, she's from that media watchdog that I mentioned, the Center for Media and Democracy. And um, this is just a little bit of, um, of the interview and what Mary told me.
2: Um, In 1981, Alec had sent out a model bill about uh, this wonderful model voucher program that people should enact. And at that time, um, they thought it would be a good idea to get this sort of radical proposal through the legislature if they wrapped it in the cover of being a sort of social mobility ticket for poor inner city youth, which in Milwaukee means mostly poor black children. So you can can introduce a voucher program as a social mobility ticket for poor youth. You can introduce it as for uh, for special needs kids or for foster kids or for veterans kids, but it never stops there. So the next step on the Bradley Foundation uh, agenda was to get it to expand it to religious schools. And so in 1998, it was expanded to religious schools. There was a major lawsuit. Um, Opponents of that idea lost that lawsuit and uh, it got expanded to mostly Catholic schools in Wisconsin. And the goal is to have a top-to-bottom universal voucher program because all along the goal has been so that rich white people living in the suburbs or wherever they live um, going to private schools and sending their kids to private schools are subsidized by this program. That has always been their goal. And now, for the first time, people are talking about it that way. So you can see in ALEC documents um, and in ALEC bills, they're talking about universal vouchers now, universal vouchers. All
0: right, so Mary repeatedly mentions uh, ALEC in this clip, A-L-E-C. ALEC stands for the American Legislative Exchange Council. If you know who they are, then a shiver has probably run down your spine. If if you don't, you can Google it. They did a great uh, intro to them on John Oliver's show, a deep dive that was scary and funny and horrible. Um, and we included a bit of that in Tip of the Spear. Um, but uh, I found this local news story from Atlanta that actually explains it super well and succinctly. And it's with uh, an actual uh, Georgia state senator named Nan Oreck, who who was a member of ALEC. What is ALEC? It's a, really a corporate bill mill. I mean, they're cranking out legislation, putting it in the hands of
7: legislators who go back and file it. Georgia Senator Nan Orrick would know she was once an ALEC member. What happens in these back rooms?
9: There are votes taken that have the corporate folks at the same table voting with the legislators on what bills to pick, and that that at its core
7: just screams out uh, inappropriate. You're telling me that in these rooms a corporation has an equal vote with a legislator on a piece of legislation? They
0: absolutely vote, and the truth be
7: told, they write the bills. ALEC bills come complete with blanks where legislators need only fill in their state name, like the Asbestos Claims Priorities Act. This Georgia law that now prevents many asbestos victims from suing corporations matches the ALEC bill clause after clause, often word for word.
0: So, you may think uh, we're digressing completely here, and you may well be asking also uh, why the hell do the people of Georgia want or need an Asbestos Claims Priority Act? I mean, <laughs> seriously. I mean, these are like cartoon
7: villains, these people, but you know what? There's a little more. The final vote was taken here at the Georgia Capitol, but the bill was first approved here. Inside a Las Vegas casino at a closed door ALEC meeting. Records show the three Georgia senators who sponsored the bill received more than $22,000 in ALEC scholarships to attend resort meetings the year before, during, and after the asbestos law was passed. This is money from corporations to legislators, but it's being filtered through ALEC and they get a tax write off? Well, Alex is a
9: 501c3 organization, Charitable Educational Purposes.
7: That's right. ALEC is an educational charity. The signature of Georgia's Speaker of the House, David Ralston, appears on this 2013 ALEC fundraising letter. He writes, your support of the scholarship fund is critical, enabling Georgia legislators to attend the annual meetings. Donations are 100 percent tax deductible and fund education efforts for legislators.
0: Okay, so ALEC means that corporations write the laws and they handle to legislators who are funded and bought and paid for by these billionaire oligarchs and the policy combine, who then bring them in for votes to state houses and to the U.S. Capitol. And a lot of times they do this uh, allegedly without even reading them first. So uh, here's a a journalist named Li Fang. What does the state policy network do in relation to ALEC?
7: In a nutshell, uh, the state policy network is basically the PR firm for ALEC. Uh, while ALEC will draft a legislation or a piece of legislation that benefits a certain corporate interest, uh, SPN will set up a think tank in a state, Capitol, uh create policy papers to support that policy, uh, uh, op-eds, uh, place media uh, pieces uh, supporting that policy, and then aggressively lobby the legislature to see it enacted. So they're, they're taking what ALEC creates and putting, uh, putting their weight into making it law. All right, folks, so this is what we mean on the
0: long con when we say that there is now a shadow state in America. This is a fully functioning, top-down entity being run by unelected billionaire oligarchs. They host hundreds of events each year, uh, SPN conferences, ALEC meetings, Coke donor summits, Federalist Society events. Uh, they're entrenched in not only our national and state legislatures, but now uh, they've started moving into local school board and municipal elections as well. That's what the second half of Tip of the Spear got into. Uh, We'll save that for later because, believe it or not, all of this is just one little molehill covering that huge mountain of the long con. So we want to end this first episode where the attacks on Seminar Day started around systemic racism. Poor black versus rich white schools and the idea of school choice as a free market cure-all For any lingering issues of race or class as advocated by Dan, Betsy, Pat, John Tillman, and every other person getting rich or earning a living in the service of the Shadow State Policy Combine. Because race, class, politics, economics, and education all coalesced around one important figure over the last 50 years, and he also had a huge presence in our local discussion uh, around Seminar Day too, that is uh, Chicago economist Milton Friedman. So Friedman was a staunch and early supporter of school choice. In fact, this is a clip of him from his seminal PBS series, Free to Choose, which was released way back in 1980 at the very start of the Reagan era. And it was uh, him talking about school choice.
2: The system is not working, and it is not working because it lacks a vital ingredient. The centralization produces deadening uniformity. It destroys the experimentation that is a fundamental source of progress. What we need to do is to enable parents, by vouchers or other means, to have more say about the school which their child goes to, a public school or a private school, whichever meets the need of the child best. That will inevitably give them also more say about what their children are taught and how they are taught. Market competition is the surest way to improve the quality and promote innovation in education
10: as in every other field.
0: Okay, so that's Milton. Now, to his credit, he was uh, discussing complex and lofty ideas, so he gets props for that. Um, and he was willing to share opposing views on the show, too. So here's uh, another uh, clip from Free to Choose in discussion with Milton.
10: I think your remarks about free competition are uh are uh, uh, very unfair for very simple reason. You cannot have free competition where one group of schools must accept every single student who comes along, no matter what his physical or emotional handicaps or other problems. Now, the public schools have to take the handicap, must provide bilingual education, must engage in busing or other programs in terms of integration, must do all of these things, whereas the private school can come along And say, well, if your child has no problems, you know what we can do? We can offer you a school where you don't have to sit next to a child with these other problems. We're going to put you next to other children who are advantaged. I think in the real world, there is no competition between private schools and public schools. Because private schools, especially parochial
8: schools, do not have to comply with federal and state mandates uh,
10: and constitutional limitations and things of that sort. Dr. Andrig. I think the
1: role of public education and democracy is not akin to that of the marketplace. Uh, The purpose for the common school is not the same as the purpose for the the marketplace. We are trying in our public schools to create a democracy, to create an uh, educated electorate. If you're going to do that, you have to have the common school. The one
10: unsurprising thing about these comments is that all of the opposition to allowing the market work comes from people who have a very strong vested interest in the present public school system. I am not proposing, we are not proposing to destroy the public school system. We are only asking that the public school system should be free to compete, should be open to competition. If it is really as good as you people make it out to be, it has nothing to worry about.
0: All right, so these are the concerns that some experts uh, addressed to him in 1980, 40 years ago. Right. And if you notice uh, Friedman's rather snide response, he said that all the opposition uh, comes from those with a vested interest in the current system. Right. So 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 all the people that are in public education are somehow selfish and greedy and have ulterior motives. But uh, somehow there will be no vested interest in or questionable intent from those that are pushing privatization. Right. So now fast forward to Betsy DeVos's confirmation hearing after Trump was elected.
9: I share President-elect Trump's view that it's time to shift the debate from what the system thinks is best for kids to what moms and dads want, expect, and deserve. Parents no longer believe that a one-size-fits-all model of learning meets the needs of need of every child, and they know other options exist, whether magnet, virtual, charter, home, faith-based, or any other combination.
0: Okay, so did Betsy DeVos have a vested interest? Yes, she did. She was an early investor in something called K-12 Inc., which is a for-profit virtual charter school company, uh, and we'll cover that one in detail because it's basically a criminal enterprise. Okay, so there's potential conflict of interest. But had Betsy uh, solved somehow the potential problems around exclusion, which Friedman's detractors uh, had pointed out uh, would disproportionately harm minority or disabled kids 40 years ago? Well, not based on her 60 Minutes appearance, She's now considering scrapping the Obama-era guidance on how
9: to identify, avoid, and remedy discriminatory discipline, which aims to prevent schools from punishing students of color more harshly than their white classmates. We are studying that rule. We need to ensure that all students have an opportunity to learn in a safe and nurturing environment. And all students means all students. Yeah, but let's say there's a disruption in the classroom. And a bunch of white kids are disruptive, and they get punished, you know, go see the principal. But the black kids are, you know, they call in the cops. I mean, that's the issue, who and how the kids who disrupt are being punished. Arguably, all of these issues or all of this issue comes down to individual kids And um, it it does come down to individual kids and it often comes down to um, I, I am committed to making sure that students have the opportunity to learn in an environment that is conducive to their learning. Do you see this disproportion in discipline for the same infraction as institutional racism? We're studying it carefully and um, are committed to making sure students have opportunity to learn in safe and nurturing environments.
0: All right, so we need to wrap things up now. I know this is an awful lot to hit you up with on our first episode. I'm so sorry, Uh, but we are at real risk here folks, as a country, as a democracy. I mean, this is real. And many of the institutions that we cherish and and the freedoms we take for granted are under attack. It's a stealth attack by the policy combine on behalf of these billionaire oligarchs. And they are all lying about their efforts. Okay? I can't say that enough. That is what makes this a con. They're not only lying to those of us who disagree with them, but they're lying to 99% of us, all of the conservative supporters who, uh, who support them as well. So I want to end with two little clips uh, set back home in Indiana, my home state, uh, about public education. And these are clips that uh, really show and illuminate the current risk and the historical uh, trajectory uh, that's at play here in the long con. That's what this is all about. So the first is from um, uh, Betsy DeVos' congressional hearing in 2018. She was already Ed Secretary. She appeared before a House subcommittee uh, to discuss her 2018 proposed uh, education budget. And she was grilled about a private religious school in Bloomington, B-Town, Indiana, home of Indiana University and the and Hoosiers, uh, that was getting tax dollars for voucher kids. But it was uh, banning kids who were gay or had gay parents. Would you, in this case, say... We
6: are going to overrule, and you cannot discriminate whether it be on sexual orientation, race, special needs in our voucher programs. Will that be a guarantee from you for our students?
9: For states who have programs that allow for parents to make choices, they set up the rules around that.
6: So that's a no. Do you you see any circumstance where the Federal Department of Education under your leadership would say that a school was not qualified? What if they said, we are not accepting African-American students, but that was okay with the state? Does the state trump? Do you see any situation where you would step in? Would you say to Indiana, that school cannot discriminate against LGBT students if you want to receive federal dollars? Or would you say the state has the flexibility in this situation?
9: I believe states yes or no. continue to have flexibility in putting so, together so their programs just as So if I understand
6: your testimony, I want to make sure I get this right. There's no situation of discrimination or exclusion that if a state approved it for its voucher program that you would step in and say that's not how we're going to use our federal dollars. There's no situation if the state approved it that you would put the state flexibility Over our students, is that your testimony? I
9: think think a hypothetical in this case. It's not
6: not a hypothetical. This is a real school applying for that receives dollars. Time
10: has expired, but I'm going to allow the secretary to answer.
9: I go back to the the bottom line is we believe that parents are the best equipped to make choices for their children's schooling and education decisions, and too many children today are trapped in schools that don't work for them. We have to do something different. We have to do something different than continuing a top-down, one-size-fits-all approach, and that is the focus, and states and local communities
6: are best equipped to make these decisions and frameworks on behalf of their I I am shocked that you cannot come up with one example of discrimination
0: that you would stand up for students. So notice, Betsy DeVos said a couple of times that this should be a state's rights issue, right? To protect minority and vulnerable kids, it should be left up to the states. And that the federal government, for which she is the ranking official, by the way, should keep out of it. All right. State's issue, keep the federal government out of it. So here's the other clip I want to play. This is from more than 50 years ago, uh, 1963 or four, somewhere around there. Uh, And it comes from Ball State University, another college town, Muncie, Indiana. And they actually hosted a uh, rather controversial speaker at the university, segregationist, Alabama governor, George Wallace.
10: This civil rights bill turns your school system over to the federal government. And I'm not for that. I believe that you in this state should run your schools.
0: All right, so I think the comparisons there are pretty self-explanatory. But the other thing that Betsy DeVos said and that she repeats like a mantra is that parents should make the decisions for their kids. Parents are the best equipped to decide. Public schools shouldn't force parents to abdicate their decision-making. And although I think none of us would disagree with the sentiment, the issue is that they are fighting every effort as they go to hold private schools accountable or or to make laws or policies that allow and encourage um any of these schools to be open and transparent they lie to parents uh they give false information as part of their free market approach quote unquote and 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 they think that that's okay and this is the heart and soul of the long con my friends withholding information or disseminating false information at the same time that you claim that a system is open free and fair and then making billions of dollars while you uh, encourage people to make poorly informed decisions so again Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hope you had some fun. Uh, we have some amazing episodes coming up. Our next two episodes are going to feature a friend of mine who is a very smart and funny guy. You'll be happy to hear. Uh, Jeff Rogers will be with us and we'll be talking about uh, our kind of um, uh, uh, structure for this show. Uh, something we call the 10 and 10, or the 10 stages of the long con, the 10 facets of the war on democracy. You can see those online on Facebook. Uh, please uh, support us there. Our website is uh, longconpod.com. You can tweet at us at longconpod. We would love to have a discussion. We're posting more videos. We're going to have some events. This is such an important topic, folks. And uh, there is sunlight. Sunlight is the best disinfectant, and there is light at the end of the tunnel because as long as we as American citizens can come together and put aside all this political divisive craziness that they want us to engage in, um, we can see uh, just who is doing damage to this country and um, just what it means uh, to the uh, future um, and sanctity of democracy. So, on that happy note, this has been the first episode of The Long Con. And, um, yeah, stay with us. Hello? Are you with us? It's going to be okay.